Hello and welcome to Carp Cogs, episode 5. And today we have a great angler on. He's been in the business for quite a while now and he's been a consultant for, for many various bait and tackle companies. So he knows his stuff and we will be focusing this episode on winter fishing. So all the ins and outs, tactics, things that you should be taking and that sort of thing. So I would just like to introduce my guest, Richard Handel. Hello, Richard. How are you? Not bad, thank you very much. Actually out on the bank at the moment myself, thoroughly enjoying it. Have you had anything down by the lake at the moment? Um, I've had a 25-8 common and I um, lost one on the first night. Oh, wow. That, that was Wednesday night and um, it's now Friday, so nothing came out last night. That's a great result. I'll be well happy with that, especially in these conditions. The temperature's yeah. dropped right off, hasn't it? So yeah, I knew it was coming, but I didn't really think the first couple of frosts generally don't affect them this much, but um, probably not in this case. <laughs> uh, okay, Richard, if you want to just give us a quick lowdown on a little bit on your um, how you're fishing around your personal life and, and how you pretty much how you got into the sport, and then we can get into more about the winter side of fishing, because I know you're you're very clued up on that. I've seen some really good articles that you've written, mm. and I think to share that with the listeners would, would be a great bit of advice. So, yeah, if you just want to crack on and just, just talk about a little bit of yourself so the listeners sort of understand where you come from in the angling world. Um, yeah, I started fishing when I was about sort of eight years old on the broads. My parents used to have a boat. My sort of auntie got me into a little bit of fishing then. And I sort of cycled around, fished rivers and things like that, and just sort of dabbled and played. And then I started work and thought, oh, hang on a minute, I've got a bit of money here. We can start doing a little bit more fishing. And I just slowly progressed through the sort of eras. And about 1981, I sort of settled down into the carp fishing. And I've never really stopped. I do drift away to a little bit of pike fishing and things like that. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I was in the shipping business up until I was about 50. And then I took early retirement. And I now just sort of tinker around doing gardening three days a week which gives me the ability to actually um, do several nights a week now, which is quite good. And um, ironically, lockdown has slightly helped me more. I can actually now manage three nights a week because the wife's working from home, which is a bit of a positive in a very negative world at the moment. It is. And you're based down in Southampton? Yes, I am. Yeah, I am now. I come from Suffolk and used to fish a lot of sort of the Suffolk waters and the Norfolk waters. Yeah down here in about 1996 so i've been down here a fair few years now yeah that's how you've got i suppose the shipping connections is that is that right yes yeah i used to work on the docks in well in ipswich then felixstowe and then then down in southampton okay so you so you've um you started with silverfish yes started with silverfish on on the so on the broads then on, on rivers and then sort of little streams and things like that uh, when I first sort of started fishing, when I was sort of working, I was um, still after the sort of tench, basically. Tench, roach and rod and anything sort of came along, really. I dabbled at that for a couple of years. And then a guy called Ian Chambers came along and sort of started talking to me and saying, well, actually, you might actually catch more tench if you take up carp fishing. And it was all... It's... <laughs> 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 It's the guy I can blame. Unfortunately, I don't know him anymore. A friend of mine still bumps into him occasionally. But, um, yeah, it, um, yeah, the obsession kicked in round about 1983, 1984, I think. Well, it's that's... never gone away. 
No, that's a great decade of carp fishing, that really is. So you were, I suppose you could class yourself as one of the uh, sort of early pioneers, you know, when you're talking early 80s, the sort of the original wave of, of carp anglers that were starting to take real notice yeah. of, of, of the carp and well, their size and, and yeah, and, and their catchability. Uh, I'd never heard of the hair rig when I first started and things like that. It's, it's same with sort of boilies and things you know i sort of try to try and cover my own together because that's all you could really do and you just sort of learned on, on the way realistically do you remember your first carp that you caught i do i do and i feel also um, it was more by accident actually it was about 18 pound wow the guy on the yeah and the guy on the point who had probably been there all weekend bivvied up came along these scales and weighed it and took the photographs and looking back i feel my ma- majorly guilty really because he'd probably been there all weekend blanking Noddy comes along with his ledger gear <laughs> manages to do that but, that yeah, still happens that, it still yeah, it does it does maybe if that hadn't have happened maybe i wouldn't have got so hooked on it i don't know you know it's yeah I, unbelievable. I think that's the cusp of carp fishing isn't it when you get that first carp there's there's no other fish you tend to go towards because it's the first fish that you probably get that properly kites and gives you some real real trouble and you're thinking wow that was extreme and the rest is history as they say yeah. so well that's a, that's a great result so when did you get that that 18 pound what year was that do you think 82 83 i think it was something oh, like yeah. that yeah, I yeah was it might have eight, been 81. I don't know really, but it was a yeah. Not to make you feel old, I was only I was only seven years old then, so. <laughs> not to make you both feel old, but I wasn't born. <laughs> well, I was born in 81, so there you go, chaps. Yeah, yes, you do make me feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> Older and wiser, never. Not really sure yes, I'm fair. sure a lot wiser. <laughs> yeah, carp carp fishing is is an eternal pursuit. You can never know too much. Um, how to catch the fish yeah. so um yeah that's that's brilliant that that time of year 82 to be catching 18 pounds did you make any papers or anything like that with that fish no i i knew really nothing about any magazines or anything at all existing whatsoever to be fair uh, it was just it was more for pleasure in those days uh, ironically even in those days i still used to sort of um spend a week down the lake in the holidays from work and things strange when i look back at it that's sort of how we managed to cope and survive more or less sort of under a brolly yeah plastic sheets and a um sail bag a sleeping bag to try and keep warm at night yeah nothing 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 changes we're clearly still completely stupid and go out the winter i mean carp fishing is so much easier now especially in the winter You've got all the creature comforts, you've got the heaters, you've got the bed, you've got the, the quilted um, sleeping bags, everything is is so much easier. I can remember when I was, in my younger days, when I first started out, and the things you do, you know, when, you, when you're sleeping on the bank, I was sleeping just on the bank, I mean, on the solid ground, and I had, uh, I can remember it vividly, because the mosquitoes were absolutely rampant, and as you're lying on the floor, I, I had a rucksack, and, and I basically had put that over my head, um, so that's the commitment that you put in when you're young and, mm. and your naivety and, and you didn't have all the, all the mod cons that, that keeps you going now. And I think if you didn't have their mod cons, I think a lot of anglers just would be put off, especially by winter fishing. I mean, that's, that's, that's really, really extreme and you need to have everything in place, the warmer gear, 
Um, but you'll go into that a little bit more, I'm sure. So yeah, so you so you caught your first your first fish, and that was eighteen pounds, did you say? Eighteen pounds. That's incredible. That really is it's a cracking first if carp. Was, if, if it wasn't for the, the carp angler, whoever I have no idea who he was with his proper raven scales, I don't think I'd have been out of. I don't think I had any scales with me actually. Yeah. No. Have you still got them photos today? Have you? Yeah. Yeah, you'll Excellent. find if there's a dodgy one on my website. Unfortunately, my head got cut off, <laughs> but there is one on my website. There is one on my website. Oh, okay, that's better than nothing. Scaled. That is true. It's better than nothing. There's so many, so many um, captures. I'm sure from that from that era that there would have been a lot of anglers that wouldn't have taken a photo. So right, we where did we get to? We got to you basically being located down in Southampton, and after being in Ipswich. Where's the other place you were at? I used to work in Felixstowe, but it's more work than, than I've only ever sort of fished in Suffolk and Hampshire, really. Okay. Do you want to tell us a bit about the water you're on at the moment? Um, yeah, it's about 18, 20 acres gravel pit. It's the syndicate I'm a member of actually gives you three lakes to fish, but we only really fish two of them. Unfortunately, one opens from sort of March to the end of October which is now closed, which is my main water that I love to fish because that's about 64 acres full of islands and bays. And it was originally three lakes, all slightly separate, but then they saw at the end of the buns, they dug out a 30-foot channel so the fish can move freely between it all. You can okay. fish off a couple of the islands and things. It's sort of, um, sort of after the unknown, really. We're not really quite sure 100% what is in there. Not much prefer, I prefer fishing that one. Sorry, carry on. No, sorry. I was I was going to say you've been you've been on that lake long. Um, five years. I think it's five years. Might be six years. I've been a member of this syndicate now. Okay. But it's it's nor that's normally I normally have sort of move on by then, but because of the sort of main lake being closed for five months of the year and it being so large. You get back there in March, the fish have reverted back to eating natural food. And it's yeah. more or less, apart from the scenery, it's everything else you're starting from scratch every year. And it's right. quite a head banger to sort of, you know, you want to sort of get your, get your head around it as quick as possible, get the fish feeding back on you know, yeah. your baits, rig up, you know, whatever they happen to be. But they, 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 they could be anywhere. There's a whole of the West Bank, which is probably just under a mile long, is all out of bounds you can't fish it and there's a few sort of areas that we can't even get a bait in unfortunately that's a little bit like my club water that i fish um there's one lake that's next to it and literally it's it's probably about 20 25 acres but there's only three swims and again there's there's huge swathes of the banks that you can't access it's just full of brambles and very very difficult and I don't. I don't think many people fish it just for that reason, because there's so many areas that they can hold in and, and just and just out of the way. And I think there's only 30 fish in there anyway, so that obviously that puts more anglers off. Um, but to the old school carp angler, that might be a, a bit of a challenge that they'd like to take on. I'll probably go to that lake um, once I've cracked the one I'm on at the moment. But that's generally the way things go at the moment: is that you have these big stock waters where everybody can go and just catch fish. What's the stock in your lake at the moment? Do you know? The one that I fish generally, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, we're not really 100% sure exactly what's in there. Um, we know there's 40s in there, 
that mm. no one's ever caught any. We think there's possibly something bigger, but also no one's ever caught that. It's all these sightings that you always get. It's got a fair few 30s in there. We're not 100% sure, but there's a good sort of 10, 15, maybe 20. Um, in all honesty, I, I don't generally take too much notice of the sort of, sort of stock levels these days. I try and sort of mm. switch off from that a little bit and just sort of enjoy the sort of after the unknown realistically. Which is the essence of carp fishing for me. It's it's that unknown. Uh, back in the day, yeah, but back in the day when <clears throat> when obviously when you started fishing, Richard, these these lakes were very unknown. You didn't have any idea what was in the lake, and I think that mystery is taken away with most of the lakes these days. And you you know the stock, you you got a good idea what the biggest fish are. And that takes a little bit of the magic away. And there's not many lakes around that have been tapped into that people don't know what's in there. You might get some estate lakes that are perhaps a little bit more um, secretive that you can get on. But in general terms, there's so many lakes now, everybody knows what's in them, um, which takes a little bit of the magic out. Um, but if you're paying good money to fish on these lakes, I suppose people really want to know what's in them. Well, this, this the, that's the ironic bit about it is that the one I'm on at the moment, I've now got fish for winter. You know, they, they all have names and I don't really do name fish. And I can more or less tell you exactly what's stocked in here. You know, there's sort of a couple of, there's, there's a 40 pound mirror and a 40 pound common probably. Um, there's a good, I don't know, 20 or 30, if not more, 30 plus fish. They're just putting on weight each year. It's, it's quite sort of ridiculous really but you know what's in here and it's sort of i enjoy fishing here and i love fishing here but you sort of get to the point where you sort of not quite feel like you're fishing a stock pond that's a bit unfair on the lake to be fair because i love it but you're not quite after the unknown it's not such a hard battle as i spend most of my summer doing you know but saying that i will clearly be sitting here every single weekend that i can possibly get down here so that doesn't put me off more or less knowing what's in here it's just the enjoyment and the i just love being outside fishing to be honest that's pretty mm. much fishing in a nutshell isn't it it's this the yeah. camping and the being outside yeah so what are your um what's your approach for this upcoming winter with the lake that you're on uh, are you pre-baiting or do you have a plan of action on how you're going to tackle it i don't pre-bait because it's unfortunately it's 25 miles from my house and i can't I can't afford the 50 yeah. mile round trip that it would be. No, no, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, if, if, if I could, which I, I used to do a little bit of it before, but I just generally at the moment, my aim is to fish sort of Wednesday and Thursday night. And if it's all going well, fish Friday nights. I mean, that's, that's good as pre-baiting in my book. If, you, if you're fishing <laughs> yeah. that regularly, you're going to, especially if you're going to keep to a swim that you're confidently going to get something out of um yeah you can you'll be putting bait in if you're going that off and I, I don't think pre-baiting is going to be too much of a problem for you it's going to be a bit of conditioning going on there isn't there yeah 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 i, I generally well i'm quite put so I, I generally come with about nine nine kilos of bait and divide it over two rods over three nights if i don't feel the need to put that out just today i've sort of probably put about seven or eight spawns over over each spot, whereas before I just empty the complete bucket, and I haven't done that because I haven't say I haven't caught since the early hours of Wednesday morning. So I just don't feel it's worth putting any more bait out. But my general approach is past knowledge of where you've seen and where the fish have sort of hung out. But assuming you don't have any past knowledge, I spend 
a lot of time watching and listening. At night, I find, is definitely the key to winters. If you can set yourself up in a swim, even if you're not really sure if you're going to catch, but you get a good vision of the lake, and especially if the moon's out or the sort of lights reflecting on the water, you can actually watch fish showing, sort of wander around, and then the next time you come, you can move yourself somewhere to where you believe that's where you're seeing them, and then just slowly move on around until you actually sort of hone in onto the area where you think they are, and then I start sort of slowly introducing bait. I find I'm a, I'm a funny one for bait in the winter. So I feel that the fish, if you feed the fish, they will still keep eating and they will carry on going. But what you've got to remember is there's less, less people fishing in the winter. So you actually need to put more bait out probably than you do in the summer to keep them full on feeding because you want to try and keep the whole stock of fish in that lake munching and looking after your bait and then you can reap the rewards really. Because the conception is that if you're fishing in the winter, you, you generally put out little bait, little parcels mm. of bait. Um, so that's an interesting tactic. And yeah. I think probably with, I'm not sure about your lake, but definitely with the busier circuit waters and perhaps more popular, really popular syndicate lakes where the bait is going in really regular, that I think the fish over the years have have discovered that, that winter isn't a dull moment. It, it's a case of if the food's still going in, especially if it's dropping right next to them, they'll eat it. Um, it's an easy meal, isn't it? So, Yeah. You've just got to, lo- once you've located them in that area of the lake where you know they are and you've caught a few, you know, just start piling that bait out and get it, getting it out there. You know, if you don't catch, you know, you just have to reverse it a little bit and relocate to find exactly where they are because they can be held up in a sort of tiny little area this vast bit of water in front of you but when you sort of hone in onto that sort of 20 30 foot area that they're all possibly congregated in that's when you can start you know pile, piling rich, it out really rich would you as as standard in your winter fishing would you put sort of nine kilo of bait out over the course of your two rods over two or three nights as as standard yeah interesting okay yeah i look at it as um now, you go fishing in the summer, for instance, and you've got a lake that's got 30 swims on it. Yeah. You're more or less going to have 20 people in all, in, in all those swims. In winter, you'd be lucky if you have eight. So what you're trying to do is keep the volume of bait going in to keep the fish feeding. And if you, can, if you do it and other people do the same sort of thing, you sort of build up that level of food within the lake and the fish carry on feeding. I wouldn't recommend you try and do it by yourself, if you know what I mean, on a, on a lake. But if you know other anglers are putting a reasonable amount of bait out, that will keep the fish going over the winter and hopefully keep them moving and stop them sort of sticking their head in the sand and disappearing on you. Is there any specific bait that you put in? Is there something that you go to in regards to fish meal or do you go for more a, um, a more particle-based? Um... Currently, I'm using spotted fins, catalyst boilies, but I don't really want to name drop, but that's what I seem to be working very well for me over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of done quite well on their classic corn as well. But I don't know. I don't think because one's, one's a nut mix and one's more of a sort of a combination of a few things. I don't think that makes much difference. I used to think it did. I must admit, you know, I've always be, you know, fish mills in the winter etc but i've sort of drifted away from that as long as you've got a good quality bait 
that the fish love to eat, it'll do them good, they'll come and find it and they'll come and eat. I did, I mean, the research that I've been doing and, and, and my own angling that people tend to say that to make um, make your hook baits even more sort of glugged, even more coated than you would previously perhaps for the summer and the intensity of the hook bait that you're putting out there should be far greater. I mean, do you use that method at all? Or I do use that method. I also sort of try and, because you want to try and sort of make it stand out a little bit more from the rest. So sometimes I might sort of add a little bit of colour or use a snowman or something like that. Um, I'm in two minds regarding the, the, the glugging thing. I think it depends on the water that you're fishing and how it sort of performs. I always find it's worth testing out something that's glugged and something that's not. Because in the past, I've fished a water about four, seven or eight years ago, and glug baits in the winter clearly weren't working. Whereas on here, I think the more you glug them and make them stand out a little bit more, they seem to like it. It's personal preference on the lake. I always try and sort of fish with the mindset that tweak and change things if the, the fish sort of you know for instance at the beginning of this year in february i was sort of sitting in a swim and i was catching out of it and then i went for a period of about 36 hours of not catching what the fish had actually done is they'd sort of just drifted slightly to the left not very far about 30 30 20 yards something like that but they just moved off where i was fishing and put some more bait out there and i'm, I'm off again catching fish and they sort of they were sort of I think I pushed them away by catching so many of them to sort of come away from their favourite little area and start moving to somewhere else. But once I'd put some baits back on that area, I was catching fish again. So you've got to sort of fine-tune things. It's always sometimes not worth sticking. I never fish two rods on the same same bait or the same sort of um, combination. And I do sort of swap the combinations around. Dark baits, mm. sort of pink ones on top, yellow ones on top and things like that just try and sort of and once you sort of realize what they're feeding on it's not a given that they're going to carry on doing that through the rest of the winter it's you know if your catch rate fades it's just worth changing something just slightly not too much because you, you can overcomplicate things and do you usually head for the uh, deeper waters or the shallower waters depending on the time of the day um this lake is pretty much Apart from a few bars and plateaus, which come up to about seven or eight foot, I, and the rest of it is more or less 10, 11, 12 foot, and I always stick for, try and stick to anything below sort of nine in the winter. You know, the, deep, the deeper waters. I have fished in the past, and you find them right tight up against the bank that gets the most sunlight, really up close against the reeds. There's one swim on here that gives you the ability to sort of cast next to some reeds just about 80 90 yards it's it's worth sometimes if you're in that swim sort of move off the more productive area when the sun's on that part of the lake see if you can pick up a few but there's nightfalls you just you have to bring your rods back to where they were in the deeper water so i do prefer the deeper when them fish moved off that spot you were talking about what were your signs that you were looking for because i know in general that fish in the winter don't show themselves very well was it a case? Did you see him topping up that spot 20 yards away? No, nope, not a sign. It's just something I, I 
sort of have done in the past before just sort of you know not completely relocated where i'm fishing and just sort of moved along same number of wraps out but just slightly to the left or slightly to the right i think i ended up doing five nights in there in the end one one particular time and uh, i started off with the rods in the center between the sort of like aiming at the horizon markers on the trees and the rods slowly sort of drifted apart and then i leap one leapfrog one back over and i was fishing them parallel and they just sort of moved up and down this area i tend to try and sort of do that when i'm fishing anyway i don't necessarily leave the rods in the same spot every night i sort of might just adjust it slightly unless unless one is really producing well is it three or two rods you're using unfortunately two unfortunately two on here i say unfortunately the, the lake i fish in the summer you might, you'd struggle sometimes with three rods with two rods yeah three rods yeah it, it, when they're on it and they move in on you you can quite happily get two takes at the same time or within minutes of each other entertainment nice, nice so, problem same, to have <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not it doesn't sound it's not as easy as, as it's as it sounds it just appears that you know you when it when they are on it feeding you'll just suddenly get multiple catches and we've all sort of thought man, it'd be lovely to use three rods but on those mm. the moments that occur once every sort of month or so to you you wouldn't really want a third rod out there you could almost become ineffective couldn't you <laughs> yes i think you cause yourself more aggro and some of the swims yeah. are quite quite tight um sort of tucked out on some of the islands you can fish off you know you can't you probably have trouble to squeeze three rods in there the other issue with the lake it's um used to be used to be an airfield dug it out and they didn't dig it out that well so there's horrible boulders and things in it as well and snags here there and everywhere very entertaining i mean also when you're fishing three rods because i fall into that trap of my club water i can fish free on there and in some situations you probably think uh, three is probably a bit too tight because the last thing you want is all your rods being wiped out when you're trying to get one fish in mm. and that, that's that's always the um the bugbear of mine of having three rods out and obviously the lake that i fish is weedy so i have to have the rods up in the air as well which doesn't help um but yeah i mean do, do you find there's this like less anglers in general in the winter on the lake you're fishing do you find they all sort of pack up and uh touch wood definitely yeah <laughs> there's a lot of people just you know just in case this year they decide to all pile down um no i do i find there's, there's a, a lot less anglers than there used to be i think a lot of it's um the dark the dark not the darkness because they're scared of the dark or anything like that it's just the sheer hours of darkness that you get you mm. know nine times out of ten you know you can you're just sitting in the bivy from yeah. six o'clock in the evening until six o'clock the following morning plus i think some people can't quite sort of deal with that you know they drift off to sleep for a couple of hours and then wake up at midnight and then can't sleep for about two or three hours and things like that whereas you have to sort of tune yourself to staying up until sort yeah. of like 10 o'clock you know, the power the power of um, mobile phones and what you can download and watch nowadays has saved me uh, <laughs> yeah save my many a time <laughs> yeah i mean for, for me personally going on <laughs> yeah yeah that's it definitely i mean for me personally i love it you know that that type of well, i call too. it i call it bivy bound 
Yes. I don't know if you've heard that expression before. I have. Bivy bound is yes, an expression I've definitely heard of. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I don't mind it whatsoever. To to be honest, as long as you're warm and you're comfortable, yeah. you've got plenty of hot fluids. Uh, and that type of thing. I mean, that's probably a direction we can go on now. I mean, what are your key key things really to take on a winter fish that you wouldn't perhaps obviously take in, in the summer, but things that you definitely wouldn't leave home without? A winter skin. Um, a carpet. <laughs> I always have a, not a car, I just have a, a ground sheet. You've got shag I, piles. Or... <laughs> I used to hate that. I used to know a guy that used to do that. He'd get you I wonder why DFS were over in Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about trying to keep that damp from rising and that cold. You know, if you take your, if you take your, you know, you you take your foot out of your um, shoe and put it on that floor, your floor's cold. If you know what I mean. And I, I always actually make sure that when I'm, it's like when I'm sitting here now, I've got my wellies on because I need my wellies if I catch a fish. But I keep, I sit them on a mat, so I'm sort of about an inch above the floor so my feet don't get cold because I get terribly cold feet it's, yeah. it's just you got to keep you know I, I get all my equipment like the broad bag and things like that and the bivy bag and I sort of wrap it around the um, sides of my brolly just to keep that draft out you know and make sure all the drafts kept away so you can just sit there in your own little world you know with your heater on yeah and just chill plenty of lights Plenty of uh, batteries and rechargeable things and, and a radio and a yeah, good food. Yeah. Creature comforts. You know, if you're not comfortable, you're not enjoying it. I used to be one of those um, hardened carp anglers that spent all winter fishing under a brolly until I sort of suddenly twigged that actually <laughs> you can't do it another way. <laughs> but in their defence, because I, I, I was there once that... Um, if you're doing a quick night in the winter and you've got to go to work in the morning, yeah, a brolly is so much quicker. It is, yeah, definitely. A whole sort of shebang that you have to use, and then then spend all your money on a damn good sleeping bag, and you'll be fine. Yeah, I think the key with the brolly thing is obviously it comes into its own in the summer because obviously the fish are, are more on their patrol routes and moving around the lakes a lot more. So packing that up and, and moving along is is obviously um, less cumbersome less backache than you would obviously with a with a normal bivy but when you get into them winter months i don't think that's as necessary so you can get away with having a bit more gear do you have to barrel your stuff a long way to the the pits no not really purely purely by luck most of the the swims you you are behind there's one area of course covers about eight or nine swims that you do have to barrow it yeah but i sort of it's not quite it's a two-man bivy if you take the front off because i take my daughter sometimes but i still have the the front on in the winter but i I have been known if the fish are going crazy to pack it all down in the middle of the night and move because you just know you've got to yeah and you just have to accept that, you know, because you're carrying more stuff, that if you've got to, if you've really got to move, you've really got to move. It's worth the effort sometimes. It might be a, a bit of a heartache to get there, but it's worth it. When you see the fish boshing somewhere else and you're looking at all your gear and your bivy and you're thinking, oh, my yeah. God, <laughs> I've got yeah. to move. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's part and parcel, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If there's clearly, if they're clearly boshing and they just, non-stop yeah you've just got to go for it sometimes i'll tell you what i found absolutely valuable for my winter fishing is a hot water bottle i don't know if you possess one of them 
I have done in the past. I do. And um, a few of my friends do. But um, no, the only thing I get cold for me is my feet. So I actually tuck my coat that I wear most of the day down the bottom of the bed and mm -hmm. stick my feet in the fluffy bit. And, yeah. Yeah. So there's been many a mornings where you've woken up and there's been a, a good frost on the bivvy and uh, on the floor oh. and on your unhooking mat, everything. You must have had occasions where your lines have been frozen in the water on the margin. Yep, I've had to, sm yep, I've had to smash my lines out of the water a fair few times over the years. Um, I get to the point where I actually make, make sure that the, the line now, if I think it's going to freeze over, is only just sticking out about a foot into the lake. Because before when I've done it, and it was about seven or eight foot out in the lake and I needed to get home it became slightly more tricky to <laughs> lobbing bricks in trying to get your line <laughs> which yeah. is not necessarily a recommendation for how to, how to catch carp have you ever had a take in that in them conditions I have had one carp under the no I've, yeah I've had one carp under the ice okay and how did that go it went okay because I basically I was doing the same tactics, and as soon as I got the take, I just got the end of my um, bank um, landing net pole and s vigorously smashed the ice as far out as I could, and then just played the fish into the little hole and then stuck my net in and got it out. Nice. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, I don't know how it'll have, how I'll have got on if my lines have been further out in the lake, but that was sort of discovered that many years ago once i was trying to sort of uh, pack up one day and you if your lines are 10 foot out in the water in front of you and the lake freezes over you got problems we did we did that many years ago playing the carpet and when, it, when it's iced over yeah you're, you're almost playing it in like a match angler aren't you with your rod tip right down to the side just trying to bring it in in a sort of a very small area of broken ice and then trying to just clear enough to get a net in yeah yeah but it's amazing that you, you don't get cut off in that scenario with all that ice about you. It's, uh, I suppose, like you said, if you're keeping your rod tip, I've never been in that scenario of the weather where I've had a slight ice in the margin, but not where the lake is completely froze. I've actually turned up a lake. Um, you might know this, Richard. Catch 22 in oh, yeah. Norfolk. Yeah, yeah. Um, I turned up there with a few friends, <laughs> and this is going back probably about six, seven years. And we turned up at the lake, and the lake was completely frozen over. Um, we had the bright idea and our naivety to actually get on the boat and the, and the owner there was, was, was quite happy for us to do it. We went out on the, in the boat and started breaking up all the ice. Well, what's that? That's about 30 acres, I think, isn't it? 35 <laughs> acres. And we started breaking up the ice because there is a spring that sits right in the middle of the lake. Well, not in the middle, but there's a spring on one of the swims and that was probably the only area where the ice was slightly thinner. But we did yeah. eventually, once you got that sort of top shelf slightly broken down, then the water tends to creep over more of the ice and it eventually all melts. To be fair, we didn't catch absolutely nothing that day because I just think we, we probably disrupted the water so much. Every carp in the land had disappeared and didn't want to know. But, uh, yeah, that was our endeavour in my naivety in my younger days to do that. I think these days I would have just uh, packed up and gone home. Gone home, yeah. I have done something similar on a lake up in Norfolk where I've sort of got down there to do. I think we're fishing over New Year. I think we've done about four or five nights. And... There's one tiny little bit that wasn't frozen and the wind was blowing. We worked out that actually if you sort of smash more of that ice, get a little bit more waves, it'll eventually work its way down slowly down that bit of the lake. And it did. We set up and 
did the same as you. Blanked. <laughs> 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 and I was also a lot younger. But yeah, because yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of lakes now, if it's got a lid on it, um, they they will usually shut. Or yeah, and that's that's my theory at the moment. I don't I don't usually turn up at lakes these days with a lid on it and ask the owner if I can break the ice off for him. But uh, yeah, fair, I think... mate, breaking ice on thirty acres, I'm surprised you're not still there. Yeah, it was mammoth. We probably spent about two hours, three hours, because like I said, once you've got, we probably only broke up a quarter which is still enough yeah. um, hard work. But once you break that up, then, the, like I said, the water starts to creep over the other ice that's fallen in, and it sort of yeah. just works its way along. And obviously the temperature rises a little bit, which it just helps to, to, melt, to melt more and more. But, yeah, that, that, that was hardcore. That really was. My, our hands were absolutely frozen. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty extreme. Didn't you, then? Sorry, what's that, Richard? They deserve to catch then after making all that. Yeah, effort. yeah, you know, fishing doesn't work like that. Does it? No. <laughs> well, no. Reward, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, that rule doesn't apply in fishing, does it? It's uh, it's it's not as straightforward as that. Unfortunately, because if it was, I'd be breaking on ice everywhere. <laughs> it's funny, just. Um, just make you laugh very quickly. I was uh, listening to Richard talking about barrowing around just now. Um, and I read one of your blogs, Richard, about one of the long tracks that you used to barrow down. And as oh. years as years crept on and it got more sort of soggier and damper down there, you just sort of, you know, no thank you kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's a so slight you... add on to that story, but get, get, carry on first. Go on then. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna throw a noddy out there right now, noddy nightmare. Yeah. So All Rez, right. you know I was talking about um the last time I went down this uh, my syndicate with the barrow and I had a bit of a nightmare with getting the barrow around the lake. Yep. yep. So I've just today been diagnosed with multiple tears in my shoulder and a fracture. God Are you joking? No. No. So my 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 um, infinite infinite effort to get my barrow around 30 acre in uh, you know in very rough terrain and very sodden um, you know bumpy ground has uh, resulted in a rather unpleasant shoulder injury that I found out today. So oh dear! <laughs> I'm seeing the surgeon on Monday. <laughs> oh dear! You're, you're no spring chicken anymore. No, no. It's funny. I was talking to a mate of mine. He said you need to invest in a proper barrow, one of the electronic motor barrel yeah. barrows. I was like, yeah, I go and find nine hundred pounds. Yeah, like. they are extortionate. Do you have anything like that, Richard? Um, yeah. Going going back to that um, long track that we had to stomp yeah. down with a barrow. Yeah. I think I got about a quarter of a way down it, about half five one morning, pitch black, winter. Yeah. And I was struggling horrendously. And I finally sort of twigged, hang on a minute. So I got the old head torch out. Yeah, flat tyre. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. So it's, it's it's not a bad area of Southampton, but it's not a good area of Southampton. And with a few thousand pounds worth of kit on the barrow, yeah, right, yeah. what do I do? Okay, which one's the most valuablest? Right, we'll try that bag and the rods and i sort of trotted off down the track more or less sprinted to my car shoved as much stuff back in my car as possible belted back up the track again i think it's probably about 
quarter of a mile, half a mile long. And I actually did that four times <laughs> in the dark. And, uh, oh, it was, and I, I thought I was going to die at one point. I was, you know, sweat pouring from me, but pain in my chest. I think, oh, yeah. this is not good. This is not good. Yeah. But, yeah. I can, that was, I can empathize, mate. That yeah, was me two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, I feel your pain. And I think electric barrier should be on your Christmas list, to be fair. I think if I tell my wife that, I think she'll tell me to run and jump in a, you know, a frozen <clears throat> lake. Like you, Richard, I will definitely be investing in one when I'm in my uh, later years and definitely when I've retired because that is probably one of the biggest burdens to any carp angler is barrowing where you Mm want to go. If you could press a button in your swim and everything's sort of packed up into this small little box and you could just carry it around to the other side of the lake and press another button and it all folds out again, getting around the lake and chasing the carp would be an easy feat. I do take my hat off to to the guys that have put the research in and made these barrows. I want to carry on carp fishing as long as possible. And the only way that's going to be achievable if I have equipment like that um, in, my, in my later years, because I won't go, or you'll be basically fishing out the back of your vehicle. And that's probably not going to be conducive to, to good carp angling. So, yeah, I will definitely be purchasing one, not just yet, maybe in another 20 years or so. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, well, I shall be. I'm not getting down that road yet, but mate of mine's getting a little bit closer. I must admit, as every year goes on, but he's ten years older than me, so okay. he's sort of mid sixties. So he's sort of uh, yeah. The only pro- the only caveat to your um, barrow thing is it generally has to come with a new car because you can't get the barrow in the car. <laughs> oh, I've got a van, so I'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do that it's quite quite comical got me nice electric barrow yeah. now i need a new car to fit it in oh god yeah that sounds extortionally expensive yeah it's not good not good at all sell, sell that to the wife yeah exactly <laughs> could be a present for the next sort of five ten christmases you could maybe get away with that no let me just go and get her on the phone Riz. <laughs> <laughs> could i have a little gift honey please just a little yeah, one yeah yeah <laughs> how much yeah, it's not exactly. Bad, it? Well, when it comes down to it, as you said, when you sort of get old and you still want to go fishing, you're just gonna, you are just gonna have to, aren't you? Really? You could probably pick lakes. I mean, there are lakes out there where you can get round most with the car, and they'll let you off. Um, you can drop your gear off and maybe drive back to the car park or leave your car behind your swim. But in general, not all lakes are like that. And in most lakes, you will do have to do some barrowing at some point. And some barrows, <clears throat> like you've experienced, Richard, are, are a lot worse than others. And just knowing just knowing that that's there to back you up when you're going fishing at a later age. I mean, to be honest, if I had the money, I might even buy one now. You might look a bit of a worse on the bank, but... You'll be the one smiling past the uh, past the pegs. Everyone's looking at you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lad on our syndicate. He clearly doesn't need one, and he does sort of does sort of run past you sometime jogging with on his tackle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just gonna go and get in your swim, lads. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Where did we get to? So you've been five years. You've been on the lake that you're on now. Yep. This is your. How many winter campaigns is this now for you on this lake? Same amount, whatever it is. It's, it's, so, yeah, five. so five winter campaigns. Yeah. Do you go for most people call it an A team? Are you trying to single out fish, or are you just trying to get as many fish on the bank as you can? 
Um, nowadays, I think it's probably because of my age. So if anyone sort of doesn't like my answer, um, I just go fishing for the enjoyment and to catch yeah. the fish, realistically. That's why we all so, do it, mate. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much don't, my... Don't, yeah, don't take too much notice of what there is to catch out there. That's why I love coming out and doing it. Absolutely lovely. Yeah, because I think, I think if you go for especially in the winter, I mean, the summer's probably an easier time to be going to trying to single out fish, named fish. But in the winter, I think you've just got to get anything you can get on the end of your line um, to give you that confidence to carry on what you're doing in the middle of the winter. Because it's still, even though we've still got all these comforts, it is still a hard time. And you have to have a certain mental strength to be going out there. And you need them rewards when you're fishing that you're getting that fish, you know what you're doing is right, the things that you're doing are working, uh, and it just keeps you going through the winter. Definitely. Definitely. But so it, it is, I think, a lot of it for me is sort of, I think it's, it's age, as you, as you sort of get older, you know, you just, just want to go and catch fish, mm. rather than sort of target fish, if you know what I mean. You know, all the time, it's just nice to get out, as, as you said, you know, catch fish through the winter months. You know, I, I can't sit at home through the winter i just need to sort of get out get out with nature and enjoy myself i'm very understanding wife that uh, lets me do that so long long may it continue until i get uh, too old when you're laying there in the middle of the night and there's a clear sky you can see all the stars there's an owl twit touring right next to the bivy and you're just laying there admiring nature sort of worth it though isn't it yeah and that that single bleep still gives you that it does. Line, adrenaline rush. And until that thing disappears, <laughs> you've just got to go on the bank. Just don't drop your coffee, Richard. That's all I can suggest. I'll hang my head in shame now. <laughs> <laughs> Have you targeted any fish, Richard, in the past, in your in your younger days? Um, yes, I used to. And it got a bit obsessive, perfectly honest with you. Mm. I just sort of drifted away from that direction. You know, I'd, I'd get to the point, I, you know, you'd be texting people, finding out if the fish had been out, if it had been out, you didn't want to go fishing. Oh, I have to wait another week trying to rearrange everything. And the same thing happens again. And then you just sort of suddenly realise that, hang on a minute, you know, if you can still target the fish, but don't be obsessed with targeting mm. fish, if you know what I mean. Still go on the lake, still go fishing, but just sort of lose that part of it. You know, otherwise yeah. it start, started spoiling it for me. I think... I think it was about 15 years ago i just sort of right that's it and just went river fishing for about five years you know after chub and barbel and things like that just to try and sort of steer myself away from this obsession that you get you mm-hmm. get you know it was round about my 40s so it might have been a midlife crisis as well i don't know <laughs> yeah, in. yeah. <laughs> but yeah it just sort of re- it just sort of reset the clock i hadn't lost the buzz for fishing or anything like that I hadn't mm-hmm. lost the buzz for sort of being out with nature and things like that. And that sort of river syndicate I was a member of luckily let you still fish nights, so I could just still go and do nights as well. I've tried river carp fishing on numerous occasions. Um, we have the, I'm, I'm based down in Cambridgeshire, so yeah. we have the ooze and the cam. I, I know they hold, I mean, the cam has had some, some great fish out over the years. Uh, I think the last one I, I heard came out was about, was about 44 pounds. And it come out around the near some of the colleges there, but I, I've had no results. It's it is absolutely a completely different kettle of fish to lake fishing, and 
I, I think that's what puts a lot of carp anglers off river fishing for carp because the odds are so stacked against you probably tenfold of what you would get on a lake you need to be so mentally strong to try and catch carp on a river i know it's pre-baiting is probably location. yeah it's location as well yeah if you can find them the easiest way is to actually get yourself a canoe and just go canoeing up and down the river looking yeah. for them and once yeah. you once you find once you find if you can canoe some we can't canoe on the avon or anything down here if you can go out on a canoe and go looking for them once you find them you'll, you'll no doubt find them again loosely in the same area and, uh, they can be a bit nomadic but they can be also a little bit territorial as well but it's still a lot of it's still a lot more looking than fishing and i think that's what people struggle with you, know, you just want to be out every weekend fishing and not out every weekend looking for six months yeah i mean i i take my brother sometimes because he's he's um he's actually older than me but he's only recently got into fishing and he likes to go after the silverfish which is probably the right course to go on before you go on to carp and i said once you catch a carp that's all you'll be going after but we'll go for walks down the river and i will just keep walking and keep walking can we stop here (laughs) (laughs) no we've got to keep going he said i thought you meant to be fishing not walking i mean i've got a nice little backpack um and and i have just i obviously just travel as light as possible when you're river fishing and just keep, like you say, keep walking and keep walking and keep looking. But even, even when you're doing that, it can be a right ball lake, and you just think, "Am I going to see any carp anywhere in this river?" But it's perseverance. So I hopefully next year I won't tempt it in the winter because that would be um, hiding to nothing. Next spring, next summer, I'm going to try and target the rivers a bit more because I do love river fishing. That's that's originally where I started fishing was on the river um and yeah you just have that that unknown because you just got no idea of what's going to be in there absolutely no idea and and the reports that you get perhaps like you like where you are and and I'm sure where Matt is that the report of some captures that you get out of rivers is quite incredible and people had no Mm -hmm. idea that carp got to that size I, I know uh I can't think of the think of the guy's name now as a there's a named angler who, who's been fishing the thames terry hearn terry hearn is it terry hearn there's uh whole, yeah. oh god what's his name rick uh nick nick hollier is it nick hollier yeah, hellier. nick hellier that's it yeah. um he, he's been fishing the thames and he's had some great he's had some 40s out there out the thames mm. section of water near me where we're, we're aware that there's been a th- um color 30s come out yeah yeah and these fish have probably never been caught before you probably be the first angler and you know in a river they're going to fight like stink uh they're going to give you the complete run around i would imagine because obviously they can use the flow and they wouldn't have probably been caught before can imagine the excitement levels will be through the roof the only thing i've caught from rivers in general has been roach some rudd and pike i've never had a carp so one day hopefully i will achieve that Mm. you'll get there i'm sure yeah definitely what sleep yep. system do you use in these rather cold conditions, mate? I have got a tracker. I think I don't even think they make it anymore now. I think it's called a Pertex. Okay. Yeah, and it's probably about 15, 18 years old. But I've, wow, it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. I can't actually sleep in it if it's um, above five degrees because I just get too hot. Really? Too much. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that yeah, is a no, very effective ab- sleep system. <laughs> yeah, no, it is absolutely unbelievable. Because for, for me, October's a bit of a nightmare because it's, sometimes you can get the odd rogue frosts and things. Yeah. So I, yeah. I end up more or less using it in October regardless. And some nights I'm sort of sticking my legs out, trying to cool myself down. And then yeah. you get the odd random frost and I'm grateful I've actually dragged it dragged it out with me really because yeah. then I've, I've got a little sort of I'll call it summer summer bag really it's quite thin and I sort of uh, throw over the top yeah and it seems to sort of keep me warm enough in the summer really has there been any moments Richard where you've been caught out where maybe you've forgotten something or you think actually tonight's <laughs> going to be pretty difficult um I occasionally randomly forget things like landing nets wheelbarrow oh wheels um <laughs> wheelbarrow pump yeah wheelbarrow pump yeah um <laughs> yeah, yeah i have one of them now <laughs> never needed it since but anyway <laughs> yeah i think i might need one now yeah i, I keep one yeah. in my no, no, i forget the forget the random things like the you know i've got i remember coming a couple of years back and i'm all set up and everything ready to go i've got the kids with me because i sort of grabbed them from school and said you're coming down the lake i need to set up early oh no landing net nope still at home quick trip luckily about three miles away we've got ringwood and there's a tackle shop there uh, but to buy myself a new landing net <laughs> so fishing but yeah if you f- i randomly forget stuff i'll try and all have it by the front door so i'll leave my tackle in the house and as long as that area by the front door is empty i've taken everything with me and it's I've crossed my fingers it's not too bad but i did a little bit of a winter session last year and i was using my barrow because i had no uh, as a, as a rod pod because i didn't bring me buzzers <laughs> or, or, or any sticks at all whatsoever but yeah it's, it's, you forget things occasionally it's just but, but one these of things you just have to work around but, it i think i think for the older carp angler and perhaps not so much of the new age carp anglers we've been used to not having certain things so even though as much of the pain in the ass and you're hitting yourself around the head thinking how could i forget something so crucial in what i'm doing you have a an attitude of in the past where you didn't have it in the first place i mean obviously a landing net you need a landing net but there's certain things you can perhaps get away with and you know half the stuff that we take fishing how many times do we actually use it mm-hmm it's, it's quite incredible, isn't it? All the stuff you have in your tackle box, all the stuff you have in your bag, you think, I might need that, I might need that, I might need that, I might need that. But in general, how many times in that season will you actually get them out and use them? Not a lot. It's the age-old thing. You take out your bag, you probably need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've fine-tuned mine down, and I more or less get away with it nowadays. Yeah. Um. But my barrow still looks like it's just about to burst every time when I look at it thinking, well, what else can I get rid of? Yeah. So, no, there's nothing else I can get rid of. And I have come to the conclusion, the smaller the bag you take does really focus you on what you can and what you can't take. That's spot on, that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, the, other, the other trick I do is um, I leave a bag of leads in the car. So you don't need to bring that many leads down to the lake or anything like that you know and a spare gas canister in my car and things like that i have a little little bag of stuff you know like spare bombs or anything like that you know if someone breaks into the car and takes it you're not really going to sort of fret over losing sort of a few leads 
and a gas canister and a few spawns because that's you know my other thing if you lose a spawn you're a bit sort of doomed aren't you really you need another one to try and get your bait back out there especially if you sort of started i don't want to carry too many of them around with me otherwise you just end up bringing too much down to the um to the water's edge the carp world has this great habit of throwing up all these ingenious ideas that you think do i actually need it uh, i mean recently i've i've never been a great user of which is maybe my my own downfall I do use them, marker rods and your spod rods. I've recently been leaving them at home and I've been coping without them. I usually take obviously my free rod setup, so if I do need to spod something out, I can always just use one rod uh, and use that instead of, of a marker rod. But just little things like that um, that can lighten your load and, and just make it a lot easier to, to bear when you're moving around your swim. Well, you laugh at me then. I've got a marker rod, a spawn rod, and a deeper. I've got a deep one of those deepers, and I've got one a rod for one of those. <laughs> if it's windy and you've got your deeper out there, you need your marker rod to flick it out to the spot. Yeah, yeah. You know, perhaps I could, perhaps I could take the um, the deeper off and use that as a spawn rod. But yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've cracked off before when it's sort of like you're spawning or you get a, a, a wind knot in your braid yeah. and then you sort of go oh no what do i do so I've sort of got i carry a spare spool of braid around in indirectly yeah. by carrying three rods or you know with the same three reels on it so yeah. just yeah. just just a question richard have you ever cracked off on your deeper sorry i didn't hear that question have you ever <laughs> have you ever cracked yeah. off on yeah. it you have I'm oh, glad i'm glad this i'm not the only only angle <laughs> did you retrieve your deeper i did I did, and I tell you what, as, as embarrassing as it was, trip round the lake on a boat because I rang the estate of the syndicate, and they came down with their little um, rib, <coughs> a little outboard, and retrieved my deeper, and then took me for a little tour around the lake through some of the little bays and things. So, oh, nice! It was, it, yes, it, yeah, yeah. I have more of, more of a vision of the lake than other people do. <laughs> there's always wow. a positive to a negative yeah, yeah that, definitely a positive mate. I, don't, I don't know if you heard our last episode richard but i mean uh, i did i did touch on my deeper that i have and i've cracked off on that on a couple of occasions and <laughs> every time i use it because the club water i use it on club waters are a little bit less manicured i find it's a country park i usually fish at and obviously overhanging trees and this sort of thing getting away and my knees just turn to jelly every time I cast it out because I'm just worried I'm going to throw 200 pounds worth of equipment in the lake. <laughs> that's my only that's my only issue with deepers that they're so expensive. Well, here's a tip for you. What I often do with mine is wait for the prevailing wind and just flick it out and let it drift drift out. So you're yeah. not getting that big cast, if you know yeah. what I mean. You know, it, it does involve you sort of chucking it out where you're actually fishing, but. It does help you map the lake. There are a, another topic in themselves. Um, people obviously think there's it's a form of cheating. I, I don't think. I think it's just using everything at your disposal to uh, to help you catch the fish. Spot on. That's exactly what I think. It's the tool that's been given to you and developed to be used. What? Why? Why not use it? Use use remote control boats. Oh, use... Because you obviously you have the the brigade that say deepers bait boats and we, we again we touched on bait boats i did have one i sold it because i just wasn't enjoying my fishing as much as i was yeah without it um obviously with the casting and, and that sort of thing but 
in general, it's you could strip it all the way back and you could say just stick with a split cane rod. Not even a split cane rod because a split cane rod was um, was a huge leap in the fishing world. You know, before it was a bit of string wrapped around a bit of wood, mm. and you were pulling that in. I mean, bite alarms. You know, all anglers, all carp anglers in general, will use bite alarms. That's a huge advance in technology, absolutely massive. But people don't say if you speak to somebody like my 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 dear partner, she will say to you, using bite alarms is cheating because you're you're getting a heads up on what's going on through great engineering. So it's it's the same thing in my opinion. And I do like my deeper. Like I said last in the last episode, I don't use it as much as I probably should. Just purely from the fact I just so worried that I'm gonna lose it. Does my head in to be quite honest. <laughs> Thirty five pound breaks braid straight through and just yeah. just 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 gentle gentle flick it. So I've only I've only done it once, and I think it was mm. because I hadn't checked that everything was all right yeah. with the with everything. You know, yeah. sort of, it's just, yeah, you just you know, they're amazing bit of kit. I must say. Yeah, I mean, I've I've cracked off a few times with the deeper. One was I didn't realise when I was using my um my marker rod, I had it clipped up, and it was only clipped up at like thirty yards. So. Cracked off then, and then another time I think I got a wood knot in it, and it cracked yeah. off then, and then oh yeah, so it's it's been a, a bit of a bit of an issue with me, but I'm sure I'll get my head around it, and I'll have a bit more confidence in using it in the future. They just drift, drift, drift it round with the wind. That's the, my my tactic. Yeah. Or if you want to be really provocative, attach it to your bait boat and drive your bait boat out, and use your bait boat to map your map your swim with your deeper. Yeah. I must admit, I don't have I don't have a, a bait boat. I don't have any problems with bait boats, but I, I do wish on that big water I fish that I, I had a bait boat and we could use one. <laughs> I'll be zigzagging across the whole lake for hours. Yeah. I mean, I did that very thing, Matt. I I had a boat did when you? I had my bait boat. I when I went to France, I connected my deeper, but for some reason, the the handset of the remote control set I was using. And the what was I using? I had a um, shuttle, um, a wave wave runner shuttle, but it was interfering with the signal. Oh, wasn't so, it? Yeah, it was rendering it useless pretty much. So I couldn't do that, which was hugely disappointed about. But yeah, it's just one of them things. I don't think it happens on every bait boat. It was just that particular bait boat, um, and I'd done some research on it, and it it was something to do with the, with the signal and the bait boat. Mm-hmm. So. But that, so I couldn't, I couldn't use that feather in my cap, unfortunately. Um, right, shall we get back to winter tactics? Now, what are your Pacific watercraft tactics? Now, we did do an episode purely on watercraft. We didn't cover too much on the winter side of things. It was predominantly more on the, on, on the summer. But uh, what are the go-to things that you would look for when you turn up at your lake, Richard? Uh, bird life is my first one I go for. Wherever the coots are hiding out and the tufted ducks, if you happen to have any of them. Wherever they're hanging out, there's a fair sign, there's some sort of food source there. Unfortunately, it can be boilies, but at least something's there. You just need to, if you can actually get a pair of binoculars and see what they're actually picking up. And if it's boilies, then you know someone's been fishing there and in there to clean them up. If it's not yeah. boilies, you know there's a fair chance they're feeding on weed or what's left of the weed there's a bit of a food source um after that wind is one of my favorite okay. ones okay uh, it's 
the way this lake is situated is sort of like it's it's sort of north north south and and there's trees around it as well so it sort of does kick the wind around in weird directions as well so it can be a, a, a bit of a funny one the other thing i also take note of is the um sort of the north banks and the east banks where the sun is likely to shine on yeah water up unfortunately it does inevitably mean you end up fishing on the coldest bank yourself sitting there shivering but if your rod's out 60 70 80 yards fishing up against a bank that's got the sun blasting on it from the first light in the morning to the last light in the evening more or less i feel that's a sort of fair fair area to start with and what features draw you the most um, old weed beds died down pads and things like that yeah i fish a, um, a little club lake in the winter obviously day sessions because my gardening that i do sort of gets less and less so i sort of go up there for about sort of four or five hours and mm-hmm. i always fish over the dead pads or the dead weed beds or up against the sides of the islands and things like that because these things i mean the weed beds that they, they tend to retain the heat a lot more don't they yes. than, than other areas and that's pretty much why i think the census is that's why you should be targeting it. Obviously, they're they're great. They hold a food source, hold a little bit of shelter. But I think in general, it's more to do with the heat retention. Yes, and the warm. You know, if you can work out which is the warmest part of the lake, really does help. Um, the wind. It's 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 a funny one on here because of the way it sort of blows a lot. There's there's sort of the corner that has if the wind blows from the east or the north or even sort of like from the northeast it blows into a sort of a corner and you'd be surprised how many fish come out of that corner on really yeah. cold wind it yeah. sort of astounds me sometimes you know i can't quite get my head going down there and fishing when it's like that people do and people catch so it's not nothing's everything ever ever a given i have found with fishing even in the winter and, and summer months as well. Mm-hmm. Nothing sort of 100%. I think the most important thing I find is, is watching out for the fish, topping and showing. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that's a night which might involve you actually being up sort of one, two, three o'clock in the morning, mm. just standing and listening and trying to work out where, you, where mm. you're because for some reason here they do they like to stick the heads out about sort of between 10 o'clock and two o'clock in the morning and if you can pick out where they are they'll carry on doing it for sort of 20 minutes half an hour and then you know where they are it's the time to sort of move move on them i have another thing i sort of do as well it's it's about watching the, the sort of the topping fish um if you can get yourself in a swim where you can actually sort of get a light shining over it from the sort of like houses that are nearby or street lights or anything like that, you can see a lot of the lake and actually see fish showing, even if there's sort of yeah. no near you. You know, you can even see them on the far bank if you're in the in the right place. You know, and that sort of gives you a clue to where they have. It's its location. Once you've located them in the winter, mm. you can then start fishing for them and then start piling the bait out. Yeah, I mean, I found that when I was fishing uh, last Friday night on my club water that there was a, the, the way the moon was shining, it was still, it was blowing a, a southerly and then the wind dropped and it was just nice flat calm and you could see anything top. And, so you can still look for them fish even in the middle of the night 
if the conditions are right for it. And I suppose in the winter, that's going to be absolute key if you can see some movement. Because obviously most people in the winter, they will start watching their phones and sort of switch off, maybe go to bed. And this could possibly be the time where you're going to actually, the, the fish are going to give themselves up. Mm. I've been known to set my alarm clock for like 11 o'clock, just in case mm. I sleep on the phone, just to sort of get me up. And I'm sort of struggling to so go and listen out and, and, you know, just stick the kettle on, make yourself a brew, and then just go and sort of stand out there if you can and, and listen. Mm. You know, and try and see, really. Listening's a bit harder mm. because you, you can hear them, but you're not, you can't sort of pinpoint them. At least if you can see them in the reflection, you can pinpoint exactly where they are. In your experience, Richard, which is, would you say, the most hardest month, a winter month for catching carp? Would you say it's January? Or would you say it's a bit before or a bit after? I find February hard for some strange reason. Yeah. I don't know why, because you'd expect... I don't know whether it's the fact that it, because, you know, March is the month where they do sort of start eating and spring's coming and everything like that. Whether yeah. it's the fact that February comes along, there's a few more people come out in February because they're a little bit keen and winter's getting a little bit, you know, nearly over. Yeah. I don't know, but that's that's the month I seem to sort of struggle for some strange reason. I also find that the first two weeks of January can be a bit iffy. And I put yeah. that down to more anglers on the bank between Christmas and New Year. A little bit more feet on the ground, there's more lids going out, there's more, a lot more sort of crashing around and things like that. And the fish have come accustomed to sort of how it's sort of, what the noise levels are like, what's going on on the bank. And then suddenly there's a sudden week where it's sort of, like the first week of the season and June the 16th, you know, so it's all peaceful and say, so yeah. you know, I think you get that same sort of thing. <laughs> between christmas and new year everyone just comes out you know regardless because they just want to get out <laughs> yeah january especially for me it's you know when you're looking out the window and you're thinking oh i'm not going to go fishing you're perhaps keeping on your weather and you've picked a day to go fishing and the temperatures are brutal and you're thinking when they, perhaps when you set off i must be crazy i must be absolutely <laughs> off my head to be going out this time of year you know you'd be lucky if there's not a not a lid on the lake and yeah it does take some real mental strength to be doing that and some real dedication that no matter if you're if you're semi-retired retired young old no matter where you come from what creed you are it's it takes some mental toughness to get that and and i think most people will take a fish in the winter over a fish in the summer any day of the week because i think the rewards there of that capture is just massive yeah definitely i do have a sort of feeling the carper if you can locate the carp in the winter they're actually easier to catch because they're a little bit more sort of docile yeah. they, they yeah. would be in the summer but you've got the battle of locating them which is tremendously hard than mm. it is in the summer you know yeah. if you can locate them then you you've, you've got it made but i must admit you know i don't when I work full time, I do sort of two nights during the week and I'd, I'd often through the winter have to set up in the dark and pack up in the dark. And I don't know how easy it would be to go back to that after having this sort of like, you know, the, the ability to be able to, you know, as my children have got older, I can now sort of get down and set up in the middle yeah. of the day, realistically, yeah. tailor everything around fishing. Yeah. I think if I go, I think I would go back to doing it because it was either you'd either have to sit at home all week 
and and fish at the weekends or make the effort to sit up in the dark and pack up in the dark yeah. and i think I'd, st- I'd probably still do it i don't have an issue with setting up in the dark either especially in the winter even last winter i was sort of coming down uh, a day earlier or on, instead of coming down in the morning i'd actually come down the night before and set up eight o'clock at night because I, I knew exactly where i needed to be i knew where the fish were mm-hmm. knew any wraps i needed to be you got your horizon markers and you can you know you can cast out check where your line's pointing towards that tree and it's pointing towards that tree you know it's it, it can be worth that effort just to sort of do that i've done that a few times and, and had fish within about sort of two or three hours of setting up quite surprising sometimes that's a good point there richard for winter fishing and, and targeting lakes in the winter, the key is to do all your prep work, all your research, all your sort of watercraft skills in the summer leading up. So you would have your spots ready. You already know there's areas where maybe clear patches, areas of the lake where where it could be deeper, where fish are likely to hold and take a lot of the hard work out of you. If you were just to go to pull up in a lake in the middle of winter that you've never fished before, you're going to be really up against it and you're going to find it very difficult to, to get anything out there. Like not saying that you wouldn't, um, you know, it would take some, some perseverance, but in general, you want to stack the odds in your favor. And if you can do that, that sort of the legwork before winter comes, then that sets you in good stead to, to be pulling out some fish in the deepest, darkest uh, of winter. Definitely. I think I've, I've, my previous two winters to this, I sort of started preparing in sort of September, where I was actually, I'd actually pulled off the bigger lake I fished a lot earlier than I do normally. because I wanted to actually catch through the winter and some of the fish out of here, whereas previous winters I'd arrive and it would be sort of a, a real struggle. And I have to put a lot of work in and sort of wandering around in the dark trying to locate them whereas as you sort of like build up this sort of knowledge as well and over the years you sort of build up a knowledge of where the fish are likely to be mm. as the winter months go and you know where they're least likely to be but things things do change and there's a guy fishing this syndicate last year the fish to swim that didn't produce very many fish in the winter previously and i reckon that's going to be a popular swim this year because i think he had a few 30s out of there last year oh wow yeah, yeah look. So I'm gutted oh. about my shoulder injury because I'm Sorry? starting to. That's why I'm gutted about injuring my shoulder, and I hope it doesn't put me out for too long because uh, I I've really been fancying my syndicate this winter. I was really, really looking forward to getting down there, I'm starting to really get a feel for it. Oh, what's the matter with you, man? Take some painkillers and uh, <laughs> half a bottle of scotch. You'll be all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> what the doctor ordered, isn't it? Yeah, half a bottle of scotch. Yeah. <laughs> Old school at least you'll be, at least you'll be able to go fishing but you won't be able to catch fish because you'll be laid out no I'd be camping more to be fair Rich <laughs> um, just on your um, how often do you recast Richard because this is one thing that I find hard to get my head round um, the summer is obviously is, is not as abundant I mean you could perhaps put it to your summer tactics but just the recasting um, some people say recast every half an hour in the winter to try and locate the fish. Is that something you practice, if, or if if I had if I had a third rod, I'd have two on sort of banker areas, and I'd actually move that third rod around. When I'm fishing here, I'm quite confident that where I've put my baits is where the fish are going to be, and I, I recast 
every 24 hours. Occasionally, I do it every 48 hours. Wow. That's something I learned from a lake um, in Norfolk I used to fish. And if we turned up on a Friday afternoon, you got your baits out. We did it, started doing it as a laugh. So if, if anyone had the courage to leave their hook baits out. This is probably about 1985-1994. You, you were a little bit worried about your baits lasting. If you could leave them out, we started discovering you'd get a take on Sunday mornings. Wow. Just, just couldn't believe it you know we just it was just something you know we just stopped mucking around oh yeah go on i bet you can't do that and we did so if you've got confidence in your hook bait and you've got confidence in your spot yes just leave it you know and i still leave the odd baits 24 hours i nearly did today actually and i thought no i need to actually i wanted to move one because i've been going back mm -hmm. to my deeper conversation i've been drifting me deeper out there and i found a, a an area i didn't know existed it's sort of a bigger plateau I've got to sort of move the left hand rod across a bit onto that. Otherwise, and I thought, well, if I'm doing one, I might as well do the other one. Because sometimes it's about disturbance, you know, and the fish have, they might have visited your bait several times. And if it's just still there, you yeah. know, eventually they might go, actually, no, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat that now. It doesn't look so strange as it, um, as it used to look 24 hours ago, if you know what I mean. On the underwater films, how many times do you see the carp pass over the baits before they move down on it? Uh, mm. no. I was a lake out of Chichester I used to fish, and I went up a tree one day, and there's a in the channel of weed that I was fishing, you know, I knew roughly where my pop-up was, and there's a carp basically staring at it. Really? And I stayed, I stayed up there so long, I sort of, I went back down, made myself a brew, and actually managed to climb the tree with me coffee, and sat up in that tree. <laughs> it must have sat there for about three hours, staring at that bait, and then it just backed off, turned around, went back up the channel. I thought, you clever monkey, you know, it's, it's obviously just been looking at it and going, that's not normally there. I like it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 I want it, but no, actually I'm not, I'm going to leave it. Oh, that was, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, climbing trees is another fantastic thing to do for fishing, yeah. but you've got to be careful. Going back to your noddy moments. Oh, we'll get that in right now while we're there. Noddy nightmares! Well, what is your noddy nightmare, <laughs> Richard? Well... <laughs> Apart from falling out of the tree, yeah. <laughs> the branch I hit and bounced off, I'd have landed up in the water, which was the one I just thought of, actually. My <laughs> one that still makes me laugh to this day was not carp fishing, was, was pike fishing. We used to, you'd have to go, oh, this, this stretch of the River Avon, this sort of a place called Castle Hill. It's a big hill you have to park on, then you have to like struggle down with your tackle. It's basically a rucksack and hanging on to your rods. And then you have to walk across this sort of bog on this sort of winding path of platforms. And I think I got halfway along and I just touched the green on the side and I was gone, straight in up to my waist and this gooey stuff. <laughs> Luckily, I, Many, my rods weren't too bad. My mate, big guy, just picked me up by the back of my rucksack and dumped me back on the, the things. I sort of stood there, sorted myself out, took two steps and did exactly the same thing again. Wow. At that point, he just sort of just fell about laughing, really, and I was just oh, in hysterics, really. Oh, and I spent a, a muddy, cold day pike fishing, and I can't remember if I caught, to be fair. At least you've been well That's camouflaged, mate. Hey? At least you've been <laughs> yeah. well camouflaged. Yeah, I was. 
Oh, take God. camo to a new level, that does, mate. <laughs> and I, I have actually fallen off another bridge and ended up in, in the lake as well once as well. So I, I'm very scary, wary of bridges. You, you should join the Red Bull diving team by the sound of it. <laughs> you do. You do. It's unbelievable. Three I've fallen off in the time. If you count the one that I fell off twice. <sighs> I've done the obvious, you know, crack off on the on your deeper. And, you know, I think I've cracked off twice on a spawn once before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I've, I've had a few friends who've done that, who've been leaning out on a branch and the branch is given away and they've gone straight into the water. And, yeah. Uh, oh, dear. that's It's just one of them perils when you're climbing anything. Um, again, be very careful if you're doing it. Um, it is very, very, very dangerous when you're climbing up trees. Yeah, I, I won't do it now because I did fall out of another one and I sort of got up and looked behind me and about a foot away from the side of the swim where they'd sort of made the framework around it there's a, a bit of a spike sticking out about an inch two inches wow and I'm thinking, if i'd hit that yeah i wouldn't be talking to you now so mm. no you, yeah i'm very very wary now of climbing trees as much of an advantage as it gives you seeing in the lake from that direction yeah mm-hmm. yeah as I you mean... might have gathered i'm a safety hazard so i'm I'm forbidden from climbing anything. <laughs> you know, if I can, if I can fracture a bone pushing a trolley. You would have been like an impaled vampire, Richard. I think in that in that case, wouldn't you? Yeah, it would have. It, yeah, I st- it was probably about fifteen years ago, and I, I still, yeah, I look back and thinking, hey, what could have been? It was been unbelievable. You know, I don't think I'd have survived. To be fair, yeah, you just don't know, do you? I've heard unfortunate stories quite recently where where a guy had a a big fundraiser and from that very thing he was climbing up a tree uh, he fell out the tree and he ended up in a wheelchair unfortunately that can happen um, when you're climbing anything in life Um, but that's just something the listeners need to take into care when they're climbing up a tree and like I said on the last episode most of these accidents happen on the descent so obviously on your way down you have to be extra careful I tell you what, Richard, I'm going to give you um, what we call our new feature, and it's called the Quick Fire Five. Quick Fire Five! Yeah. Now, I'm just going to ask you a quick five questions. If you can just answer them best you can, they're just basically pretty much uh, just simple questions, but we'll go for it. Um, the first question is bottom bait or pop up? Wafter. Wafter. Okay. Mirror or common? Mirror. Margin or middle? Margins. Slack or tight? Slack. Now, I, I think, I've, well, this last one, I think I know I'm going to answer this one. Real handles, in or out? In. <laughs> you, you have your rear, ha- rear handles in, do you? I, I, I would if I could, but I don't because I can't. But otherwise, I would. Why would you do that? Because I absolutely love the look of it. I used do to have three thousands, and that I, for some reason, yeah, I don't know. That's blowing me away, Richard. That it's, really has. It's the tart in me that comes out. You, know. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, Rez, were you? Not one little bit, mate. <laughs> 
I thought old school car wrangler. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. say reels out. Don't, out. Don't give me that real in bollocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> single single sticks as well. Single sticks. Wow. Yeah, yeah I used to have single, single sticks. Yeah. If you look on my blogs, you'll find that I don't use single sticks that often. But if I if I if I could, I would, and I love them. Single wow. sticks. Yeah, SS three thousands or something. You know, yeah. the Dyer have got the new ones out. Yeah. Brilliant. That's excellent. Real handles in. That's that's shock horror for me. I'm afraid that is shock horror. But uh, each to his own. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I've never tried it to be honest, and to be honest, on my setup, it would. Uh, I'm not sure about looking better, but it would stop all my reels smashing together when I do a strike on them. Wow. See, this is the thing. So you you pick. Everyone says, "Well, how do you sort out the reel?" Well, you just pick the rod up, tilt your hand slight, tilt your hand slightly, and because it's a such a good thing, it just clicks into place, and you just carry on playing the fish. Yeah, I think that's um, with my reels. I've got some Fox. Oh, what are they FS? Oh, God, I can't think what they are now, but. The real handles, you have to obviously screw the end in to lock them up. Yeah. Now, the only real handles I have that sort of flick lock are my um, Dower Emblem Spods reels. Yep. I have that mechanism where you can sort of just unlock the reels. So I think it would only work with them type of reel handles. I couldn't see someone sort of screwing the, uh, with the try, trying to play a fish and they're screwing the <laughs> handle back on. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Be interesting if you were a little bit um, disorientated and unscrewed the wrong way, and then you were facing a situation where you got no real handle and a re- a fish stripping line off of you. Exactly, I panic enough when it comes to just getting the rod out, <laughs> you know. So God knows what I'd be like with actually trying to screw the real handle back on. Here's a good one for you then, because I'm old and I come from the day when you used to just squeeze these two metal things around your, your reel to hold it on the um, rod. I think what they're called now, actually. But they would work loose. You'd be halfway through playing a fish, and you'd have your rod in your right hand and your reel in your left hand. <laughs> come apart. <laughs> that's all you need, really, isn't it? That's all, that's all yeah. you need. That's when you pack yeah, up and go home. Point, yeah. It's got to the point where I used to like tape the back one and then try and push the top one down really hard. Oh, dear. But, hey, things have moved on, luckily for us. <laughs> Oh, well, I tell you what, Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, I won't take any more of your time up. You're probably gagging to get some sleep. Um, you've been a great help. I'm sure the listeners out there would have taken some, some real stuff from, from for their winter fishing and their winter tactics. Mm. And just keep going. I think that's the main thing for winter fishing. It's keep your chin up and just keep persevering in what you're doing and the fish will follow. I certainly will do. Thank Definitely. you, Richard. I, I found that really informative tonight, mate. Really interesting. Well, hopefully. No, you never I, I, I've, I've learned a lot tonight, mate, so thank you very much. That's right. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, lads. No, it's been, it's been great having you on, mate, and we'll probably get you Thanks on again, much. hopefully sometime in the future, for a bit of a more of a summer summer chat on your summer angling. Yep, not a problem at all, any time. Okay, guys, thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast. Again, thank you to Richard, thank you to Matt. And we'll see you on the next episode of Carp Cogs.